Spring of Life Fellowship and its pastor, Joaquin G. Molina, invites you to listen to a message of restoration and strengthening for your life. Be a part of the vision, changing the world. If your neighbor is sleeping, just elbow him, okay? You tell him, look, go home and sleep. I give you permission to do that. Just get up and go home and sleep. Father, we thank you this night. We give you thanks for your presence in our lives. We give you thanks for your spirit. We give you thanks for your word, the utterance of your spirit, O oh God, that is like a seed planted in our hearts that prepares us for a harvest in a season to come, Lord. And let us be diligent and fervent in spirit, O oh God, that we might not miss out because of apathy and a lethargic approach to your presence, O oh God. Allow us, Father God, to uh, inquire of the Lord this day. Allow us to prepare for the coming days, weeks, and months, O oh God. And make us strong in spirit, O oh God. And revive us, our fire, O oh Lord. And move the coals of our hearts, O oh God. And let us get around uh, Christians that are on fire for God. That are winning souls. That are moving in, in the endeavors of the business of our Father. We pray that your angels would minister to us. Your fiery uh, servants, O oh God. That move, O oh Lord, on behalf of those who wait upon you and fear your name. We pray that you would prosper this word in the hearts of your people, Lord, and that as we gather to hear your word, your word would be alive, that it would be like a double-edged sword. It would be a living word, O oh God, that would stir us up in the depth of who we are, O oh God, and that we might be able to take this word to others, O oh God, and give by grace what you have given us by grace. And we give you thanks tonight, O oh God, for what you're going to do and the revelation of your spirit in these matters. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'm starting out with the fact that, that for centuries, if not for thousands of years, every time the winter season set in, it was a time of concern. And in Genesis chapter 8, verse 22, God promised that as long as there was going to be an existence upon the earth, that there would be both summertime and harvest. There would be cold and there would be hot times. There would be winter and summer. There would be day and night. And these things would not cease. And so as we see these things, we know that when you are a pagan culture, when God is not in your life and you're going into a time of darkness, what do you need? You need light. And if you're going into the nighttime, you want to make sure that you don't lose your way. And if you're going into the winter time, it's a time where there's not going to be fruit. There's not going to be much uh, climate and atmosphere to cultivate what you need to sustain you in that season. So uh, sometimes we come to church and we say, I don't understand today's preaching. That's, that's not about what I'm going through right now. So I'll just doze off and, and I'll, I'll look at the pastor, but I'm really somewhere else. Listen. What God is going to give you tonight will sustain you in January, February, and March. What God wants to speak to you is going to be really useful when you get into another season of your life. But too many Christians think, I'm not going to have any problems. I'm, I'm going to, in my next season, it's, it's going to be all the better. But here God says, listen, these cycles will not cease and he tells us like this in Proverbs 6, verse 7, where he says, listen, the ant has no one to remind him. And, and you have somebody to remind you. You have a pastor who's trying to say, hey, wake up, because it's time to prepare for another season of your life. It might be that, that you need what's going to be spoken here Tonight is a matter of life or death. And consider this aunt who has no captain. She has nobody watching over her. And go to her, uh, somewhat lazy person. You, you don't understand what, what's going on. Consider how an aunt is walking in wisdom and you wake up and be wise. Why? Verse 7. Having no captain, no overseer or ruler. Verse 8. She provides her supplies in the summer. Say in the summer. In the time of gathering the harvest, in the time of cultivating the field, in the time of picking up fruit, she's gathering her food in the harvest. What for? 
Because she knows, verse 9, that she's going to enter into a season of winter. She's going to enter into a season where she's going to need food for the difficult times. And so I'm concerned a little bit on how some people don't understand that their lack of wisdom, their inability to prepare doesn't even last for another season for their children to believe in God. How is it that we let the fire go out and when our kids are growing up in church, they have come to one resolve. Our children do not want to go to church. They don't want to be Christians. They haven't seen what is the benefit behind this this life that we have. They they don't know. And and as I see different people uh, across, uh, across the field, I'm reminded of the German philosopher uh, Frederick Nietzsche, whose father was a pastor, whose uncles were in the ministry, who went to church all the time. And this guy comes to one conclusion. You know what his conclusion is? I don't need God. I, I don't need church. I don't need the Word of God. I don't need to praise God. I don't need to cultivate a life of the Spirit. Well, we know historically that the guy went insane at the age of 30. And, and he only lived a couple more years, and he died in a total a state of schizophrenia and depression and and totally enveloped in darkness. I I want to ask you, in our lifetime, is that the faith we're passing down to our children? Is that, that in, in the time of our developing the fire of the Holy Spirit, and, and it's something that you need to cultivate, you need to find, you need to pursue. To withdraw, to separate, to isolate is a real dangerous thing. And, and why? Because I've seen people a lot stronger in their faith with, with supernatural accounts of their, of their raising up. Let's go to, um, there it was in, in the book uh, Matthew chapter 11, verse 1, where, where we see John the Baptist ask a question. And then this is, this is like Benny Hinn. This is, this is like the greatest preacher of his time. And he finds himself in a season of winter. He finds himself in a season where, where he can't find God. He doesn't know if he's a Christian, who's a Christian. In Matthew 11, verse 1, he says, Now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his 12 disciples, he departed from there to teach and preach in the cities. Verse 2, And when John heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two disciples to Jesus. And he said, Ask Jesus if he's really the one. If he is the, the, the answer, then are, we, are we to look in another place? Are we to look towards another? And, and I, would, I would go to the extent of telling you that here you know that both, um, both of John's parents, Zacharias and Elizabeth, were both priests in the temple of the Lord. They, his, his parents were pastors. And, and he, in a, in a different season of his life, in a winter season, in a, a season of darkness where he's, he's been taken to prison, he, doesn't, he tells his disciples, hey, I need somebody to tell me if this is for real or if it's for not. Because in a season of his life, if you go with me to John chapter 1, verse 29, in another season of his life, he sees Jesus and he says these words. The next day, John saw Jesus coming and he says, Woo! There he is! When he's saying, Behold, he's going, Voila! Look who's there! And he's, he's proclaiming at the top of his lungs, There's the answer! There's the Lamb of God who takes the sin of the world away. This is the answer of all our disgrace, of all our shame, of all our embarrassment. This guy is preaching a firestorm. It says in verse 34 that he continued and he said, I've seen and testify this is the Son of God. I I don't know. Can, Can you guys please tell me? Let's stand, let's stand, let's stand. How excited can you be about the fact 
that you have found the risen one. That the, the Lamb of God. Gary, I don't know if the Lord took away from you all the sin and crud. Who takes away the weight of the burdens of this world. And John was like, Woo! This is the Lamb! We, this is the one who changed our life, who set us a different course. And, and so the declarations, and this is what's supposed to be happening. It was happening tonight during worship as, as we praise God. But that the fire of the Spirit of God would revive your bones. Why? Because there's a winter season coming. There's a time of darkness. There's a time that the pastor's not going to be telling you, get up and start shouting, I've found the Messiah. I have the risen one. I have the one who comes and lifts my countenance. I have the fire of his spirit in my life. And so I, I, I don't know if you can go ahead and, and, and just go back to verse 29. And, and just that first proclamation. I, I want to see verse 29. How, how you behold. What, what, is, what is the passion of what you're beholding? You know, what are you putting your arms around with respect to the substance of God's goodness on your life? How is it? What are, what are the words that are justified in coming out? As I see uh, Louis and Lorna over there, who a couple of years ago were just going through an inferno of, 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 of total hell. And, and here, behold the Lamb of God who proclaims peace and joy and righteousness and healing and restoration and reconciliation. A God who, who raises from the dire straits. You know, and this is the living Christ who's in our lives. And, and so, I don't know how you would pronounce behold the Lamb of God. In a season, I hope you're not in prison right now. I hope you, you, the devil doesn't have you. I can't do it, pastor. I'm, I just, it doesn't come out. Uh, I'm bound. Well, let me tell you something. Behold the Lamb of God who just stripped us away from all the disaster that our life was headed to. And, and so begin to praise Him and to thank Him and to fill yourself with the Spirit of God and to say, Lord, if it wasn't for you, I was destined to hell, to destruction. I, was, I, I didn't have a praise word in my mouth. I had nothing flowing in my heart but unbelief, ungodliness. I was far from the house of God. You brought me into the sanctuary. You made me part of the family of God. I've been adopted. The Spirit of God says, I'm a father. And, and God is in our lives. And, and He's doing a work of salvation and resurrection. And this world is going to hell in a handbasket. And you're the only one that has experienced God. And, and, and a transference of the impartation of His presence. And so He declares, wow, this is the guy. We don't have to go to another. And then He tells them the next verse, verse 34, He says the words, I have seen and I will speak that this is, there is no other, there is no other. And then he goes on in verse 36, and he saw Jesus walking. How many have seen Jesus walking? I, listen, I only call them divine appointments. Because everything's already designed when I get there. Everything is at the time and at the season that it has to happen. And I say, God, you know all things. And I don't doubt, um, I was telling the police today, even if I were to see a monkey on a tree or a pink elephant fly, I would not doubt for a second that God loves me, that God delivers me, that God provides for me, that God protects me, that He blesses me, that He gives me a future and a hope. I don't care what is happening. I'm already convinced and persuaded of these things. And so here John, in a season of his life, is making those proclamations. And I'm going to tell you something. If you do not make them in your summertime, if you do not make them in the time where, where there's no issues, how? How will you stand in the time of being shipwrecked in your faith? How will you stand? This guy has parents that are pastors. 
uh, the, uh, he has a miracle birth. He's baptized by the Holy Spirit in his mom's womb. The guy is loaded. He's consecrated. He's a Nazarite by birth. He has all the consecration. And here he is in a season of his life, and he doesn't know who Jesus is. He doesn't know what church is about. He doesn't know why his mom and dad are serving God in the temple. And he's totally stripped of his faith. And, and the Bible tells us, see that no one steals your crown. See that nobody strips you of the seeds that have been cultivated in your heart. And so you may sit down. I, I, I don't think we gave him justice. Forgive us, Lord. We still don't know how to proclaim. Behold. Here he comes in the clouds and with the spirit of Elijah, with the spirit of proclamation, with the spirit that's able to impart that, that reality to the people that are next to us. I mean, we're done with unbelief. We have unbelievers for unbelief. But those of us who say we're believers, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. I've been redeemed. I've been set free. And so here it is that in a season of our life where we don't understand, this man has been cut. I mean, the way that he was raised was so special, he decides to, to move out to the desert because there's no way that you can cultivate the seed of God with unbelievers. And they're constantly sowing unbelief and ridiculing and mocking us that believe. There's not a place where I stand that people don't think I'm crazy. There's not a, a place I go. There's not a TV program I listen to. There's not a movie that I see that's not constantly mocking those who have cultivated faith in their life. The Bible says the time will come that evil will increase to such levels the love of many will grow cold. There'll be a time where, where people will say, you know something, I don't have a devotion to God. I don't even go to church and Wednesday night Bible study no more. You want to know why? Because there's a confidence that they will overcome their winter season. I'm going to tell you something. There is nothing but shipwrecked for these people. There's nothing from them losing their way. I, I used to navigate here at the channels in the sea in Miami with my boat. And there's certain channels you have to respect. I remember one time we were going so fast, disregarding keeping the boundaries. And we hit rock bottom. And we were stuck there all day long for six hours. We didn't want to. We didn't mean to. We, we didn't like it. We didn't know how to get out. Let me tell you something. There's a lot of people in that condition in their spiritual walk. They don't know how, when, or where they were lodged into a shipwreck scenario and don't know how to get out. You know what they were doing? They disregarded the boundaries, the channels. They disregarded the measures. And so I, I want to encourage you that this John the Baptist, who is consecrated by God to such a degree, he moves out to the desert to maintain a measure and a standard of God. So when the worldly people came, you know what he told them? Repent. The way you're living is not right. This is not going to be favorable with you and God. I can't partake because many times I feel that, that if I just say, oh, I'm going to love them a little bit and just go over, they will not understand the message you have. I remember I had just gotten saved. It was a, about a year and my best friend who's never gotten saved, uh, he's never believed in the Lord. And, and we sat down that first year, and he says, Joaquin, is it wrong to drink a beer? I said, no, it's not wrong to drink a beer. And he goes, well, then let's ask for a pitcher. I said, all right. I wanted, I wanted to play easy with him. I wanted to pay, let's, let's have a, a glass of beer in front of us so we won't be religious. You know what he did? He grabbed the whole pitcher of beer, and he got drunk right in front of me. And I said, man, I messed up. Why didn't I mark it so clear that he would know that I would be nowhere around his darkness? That my light should be more obvious. That it's not how close could I get to darkness and still be the light. No, John the Baptist was across the desert and he was proclaiming the truth of God. 
And the people went out there and they began to get baptized. They began to come to the man of God. And he was proclaiming, he, he proclaimed the gospel so powerfully that he even started speaking to the darkness in the government. He started saying, Herod, you have your brother's wife. And he began to set the standard. And that's why he was in jail. Now, these are guys that are willing to, to go to deep levels and risk it all for their faith. You're going to tell me that you who can barely witness to anybody and to raise a voice against unrighteousness and darkness are going to survive the coming days upon the earth? Sometimes some people say, well, okay, I think you're too intense. I said, listen to me. When the Antichrist is sitting before you asking you for your head, you're going to remember Joaquin Molina. You're going to remember that day when they're sitting there putting the mark of the beast on you. You're going to say, oh, I thought my pastor was radical. He wasn't radical enough to wake me up out of my ignorance. And so we are the people, and, and yeah, we're in the house of God. The fire of the Spirit is speaking, but we're the ones that have to, have to light the world on fire. It's our faith that has to go out to darkness and proclaim the light. And we could barely do that as we've become some latte, Starbucks drinking Christians. Where we have our faith and, and it, it, not even our children know what we believe in. I have a friend of mine who's a pastor in town for 30 years. Listen to me. His, his dad and mom are pastors. You know what he did? He went and became messianic. He became Jewish which pretty much means that the Messiah hasn't come. He's walking around like a Jewish man because his, fa his family wasn't able to, to transfer over a, a vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ. Not in the midst of, of having a good time, and, and we praise God for a good time. But these things are serious because men and women, listen to me, men and women are losing their faith. They think church is boring. They, th they don't understand why they come to the house of God. They don't aspire to their call in the things of the supernatural. And so John is, is there in prison and he sits there and says, listen, Luke chapter 7 verse 18. The disciples of John reported to him all the things concerning. And John calling they, they were telling John, John, trust me on this one. Jesus is the real deal. He's out there doing the work of God. And the disciples came to the jail and they were talking to John and saying, this is it. He wasn't convinced enough. Verse 19. He wasn't convinced enough. So he calls two of his disciples and sent them to Jesus saying, are you coming or do we just look for something else to do? Is this the real thing? In that very hour, he cured many infirmities and afflictions and evil spirits. He was owning the town. He was giving sight to the blind. Many of the blind, he gave sight. Verse 21. He was opening eyes left and right. He was healing people. Guys, we've been called to this ministry. We've been called to the ministry of laying hands in the name of Jesus, and carrying that power. And he goes on to say in verse 22, Jesus answered to them, says, Go tell John the things you have seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who believes and is not offended because of me. Okay, can we walk in the ministry of Christ? I, I, you know, As I tell my children of, of, of the ministry of deliverance and telling devils to get out of people and, and, and restoring, you know, the marriages and restoring families and seeing the evidence of the power of God's good news. They're doing backflips. They're like, this is the real deal. We don't have to go in, in, into any other direction. And, and Jesus sends back news. Verse 24, when the messengers of John had departed, he began to speak and, and you know something here is something powerful because this is, this is the witness of Christ. When we don't believe in him, he continues to believe in us. We, we are the real redemptive objects and objects of his affection. 
He's so in love with us. And, and, and when the messengers go back to John, he says, let me, let me talk about somebody that I believe in. And he starts raising John up. He says, there's no one ever been born of a woman like John. And, and I, you know, I think that the Lord believes in us. It doesn't matter how much we've lost our faith, lost our way. He's, he's, he's like a proud father proclaiming, you know, who we are and who we've been called to be. And he says like this, when you went to go see John, did you think you're going to find a little wimp out there? You think you're going to find somebody that the wind would blow and, 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 and it would be shaken by the wind? No, no, no. He's a fireball. He's my dynamite guy. He's the guy that I've called to prepare ye the way of the Lord. The voice that cries out in the wilderness. In darkness, I have the proclamation of the people that, I, that are mine. And so this is what Jesus is doing. And, and I don't know. I, I, I mean, I, I know what I say about Jesus. When I talk about Jesus, ain't nobody coming close to who Jesus is. When I talk about my God... You're going to want to come to church. You're going to want to come and meet the guy that I live for all of my life. What he's done in my life is much too grand to say, eh, I'm not going to church today because I don't feel like it. Or, I could miss out. Uh, it's, it's, you know, I got a stomachache today, so I'm just going to stay home. Uh-uh. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. When I hear the men who preach the gospel, um, this guy Charles Spurgeon and Charles Feeney, um, had kidney stones. I had one kidney stone. When I wanted to die. And these men are saying, no, I'm going to have a kidney stone. I'm going to go have church. And I'm going to go pray. And you know, one of them died at a funeral, uh, at a funeral service. They said, I'm going to, and he died right there up against the wall. Nobody even knew. This guy was so on fire that not even dying kept him away from the presence of God and preaching the gospel. Wigglesworth died at a funeral service. Men so filled with the fire of God. Men so consecrated and dedicated. There wasn't no messing around with these guys. And so God has given us an opportunity to burn for his glory. And there he begins to, to speak these things. He says in verse 25, but what did you go out there to see? A man that had soft garments? Listen, he's saying, did you expect a wimp? Somebody that wouldn't get his clothes dirty. Somebody who did not want to praise God and jump around in church because he didn't want to sweat and have armpit uh, spots. No! A man that was so sold out, his girlfriend didn't want to sit next to him, Eric. Didn't want to sit. He says, this guy's a wild man for his God. He's on fire for God. I just watch him burn for the glory of the Lord. And so he says this, did you expect to come and see a softy? But what did you go out there to see? A prophet? Yes. Somebody, verse 26, not only a prophet, but somebody more than a prophet. Alexandra, somebody more than just a little Christian girl who behaves in school. A mad woman, passionately on fire for the God of salvation. That was dying to transfer over the zeal of God. And so he goes on to say, no, yeah, more than a prophet. For it's written, I will send my messenger before your face. Some of us have to be more in people's face. Preparing the way for the king of glory to come into these lives. For I say to you, verse 28, born amongst women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. I'm asking my question, and you're asking it too. How could this guy have gotten lost? How did this guy simmer down to a small fire that is about to just be extinguished? And I'm saying, Lord, pour your oil upon my life. Let my light so shine. That I'm going ballistic wherever I go. Wherever they hear me, they're going to hear about God. This is, this is the faith entrusted to us. A man so great that no one born of woman is greater than him. And when all the people heard, even the tax collectors justify God having been baptized with baptism of John. Saying, you know something? We have to agree with what Jesus is saying. God was fair. God 
was fair to have sent George Caracol into the lives of people that don't know God. In, in other words, what he was saying, the people were saying, the tax collectors, the most wicked people of their time, says, you know something? God sent us his best. God sent us a man who we could see the glory of God in his eyes. We heard the heartbeat of God in his voice. We heard the breath of God as he passionately proclaimed Christ. And so this is a season in John's life. And some of us are like that famous cartoon, and you should watch it on YouTube one day, The Singing Frog. The frog only sings when it's in a, a certain place, and the guy wants, he's thinking, I'm going to take this frog, and we're going to just go and show the world how he sings. And every time he put him down, ribbit, and he wouldn't sing. And, and I'm, I'm wondering, what is it that we're telling people about our experience with God that, that they don't want to come? They, they, they don't see it. They, they, you're not even convinced about it. And so here this man of God is sitting in jail. And so I, I love people. You know, the, the reason why he is going through his season of darkness is he thought maybe Jesus was going to come and, and do away with all the Roman rule. And, and I don't know if in your life God has let you down according to your expectation, but God is greater than your expectation. See, see, when God doesn't show up to what you thought he was going to show up, he's still God, and he's still mighty, and he's still powerful, and he has a better way. And, and you have to know the heart of God who gave his son for you. How much will he not give you all things freely? And so somebody like Job could sit there and, and go through what he goes through in Job 121 and say, listen, I came here without nothing. I'm leaving without nothing. God gave me. God took away. I will still bless his name. I'm still going to worship. I'm still going to wait upon God. I'm still going to raise up the banner in the midst of my darkest hour. My light is not going to wither and fade. I'm not, I'm not going to sit there and subtract from God because I limited Him to my expectation. No! God, just blow it up from, from the rising of the sun until it's going down. Let's just see the glory of God's plan way greater than your puny mind. And so it doesn't help to have a wife like Job in chapter 2, verse 10, where she says, hey, buddy, curse God and die. Man, thank God for my wife. Thank God for Yvette. You guys remember, you just said, thank God for Yvette. And we've gone through some really dark stuff. And guess what? We're expecting God. God to be God, God to be faithful, God to see us in and see us out, and blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen. Lord, and I can tell you every dark moment in our lives and in our journeys has only served to have a greater expectation of the goodness of God because God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. And so when you get around people, and this is why in this season of winter, in the season of dark, in the hour that no one is believing, you don't want to be around people like this foolish woman who says, just hurry up, verse 9. Why are you still waiting? And his wife said to him, do you still wait? For God to make you whole, hurry up and get through with this miserable process and perish. And so he answers correctly when he says, you're a foolish woman. Shall we only expect our good things from God and not difficulties? In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. Daniel 3, verse 17, they threaten three young kids. They say, we're going to throw you in the fiery furnace. And you know what they tell the guy who's doing all the persecution and the difficulties? And you could talk to your demons like this when they sit there and say, you know something? You're going to crash and burn. And then you can tell them, look, if is this the case that our God whom we serve 
is able to deliver us from this fiery furnace. He will deliver us. He'll bring us through these trials. He'll bring us through these shipwrecks, these winters, these night times, times of darkness, times where you don't even know if you're saved, if Jesus is Messiah, if the church is going forward. You don't know anything. And this is where these guys are at. They're about to be thrown into a fiery pit. And, and the best part about it is verse 18 where they say, even if God does it, he's still God. Even if my expectations don't happen like I want them to happen, I still will serve. He, they say, but if not, let it be known to you, devil, and all your host of mad demons and perverted, tormenting spirits. And we do not serve your gods, nor do we serve these, these idols that you have set up. If God doesn't deliver me like I think, if God doesn't sustain me in the midst of my prison, in the midst of, of terrible times, still not going to go in your direction. You're not going to get me to move. And I'm telling you something, guys. People are already moving. People are already shipwrecked. People have already compromised. Instead of going forward, people are starting to pack their bags and leave. In 1 Timothy 1.19, I'm talking about globally. The state of affairs upon the earth is such of such magnitude that Jesus has to ask the words, when I return, will there be faith upon the earth? Will, will, there, will there be just a, a swamping, overwhelming of darkness that covers the earth, taking my people? And so Paul begins to write regarding these things. In 1 Timothy 1.19, he tells Timothy, grab on to your faith in Christ. Do whatever you can to make sure no one's throwing unbelief and doubt into your thoughts. Make sure you're hanging on with all you have to your faith and to a conscience that's uncompromising about your dedication and your walk with God. You... Somebody told me today, Joaquin, we can't be like you because you're sold out, man. You have no reserves. You don't have any backup plan. You don't, you don't have, what if God doesn't show up? And I said, listen to me. It's impossible. I, I know that with men, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Amen. When, you, when you've put it all in for God, you know God's going to show up. You know God's going to come through says that, that some of these men were, were willing in Hebrews, they were, I don't know about you, but they were willing to get sawed in half and they still believed in God. They were fed to lions. I, I don't know what it is to be fed to lions. Manny was telling me a story about getting bit by a dog. That was hard enough. But I couldn't imagine grab, having a lion. If you want to know what a lion is, it's over there. It's a, there's a portrait of a lion. And his jaw will like grab your head and swallow it. What is it that allowed these people in the midst of the fiercest, fiercest animals, beastly torture to say, I love and will serve God with all my might. No reserves. And so um, this is not even the winter season. But Paul says, be careful. Because those who have deliberately violated and allowed little seeds to come in their life, little doubts, little questions, and, and, and why did they change the logo? And, and why don't they start church at 7? And why don't they make the services shorter? And, and, and our kids aren't coming during the week because they have to sleep. Listen to me. There's nothing compared to what's coming and you're letting go of your faith already and your kids don't believe in God because your faith hasn't even carried you half hour in a midweek Bible study. They, they, they don't see. I, I, was, I was listening to one of my favorite preachers yesterday, uh, Denny Duran. He's in Shreveport, uh, Louisiana. He's a powerful man of God. He's the son of a pastor. He tells people, if you're teaching your kids at the age of 16, they don't have to go to church so they could play literally. Don't expect them to be in church when he's 60. 
And, and all these people love sports. And he's just throwing it out there. He says, look, and I know you don't want to hear this. And you're saying, come on, pastor, why are you messing with me? Listen to me. There's going to be a time where you're going to wish that you had faith. And you subtracted it, subtracted it, watered it down. It didn't mean nothing to you. And guess what? It's nothing. And Paul is saying it there to Timothy. He says, some have disregarded these things. And in 1 Timothy 1.19, they have deliberately violated their, their consecration to God. And as a result, their faith has been, say with me, shipwrecked. And do you know anybody that wants to be shipwrecked? You're, you're navigating and all of a sudden there's no more navigation. There's no more journey. It's over. In 1 Timothy 6.20, he says, Timothy, guard to what God has put upon you. Some of you guys, you don't understand the treasure to have Jesus Christ at such a young age. You don't understand, Jonathan, what it is to start out this life with Christ. You have no clue. There's men who weep in my office for hours asking, why didn't I get an opportunity when I was a teenager to walk with God? I've, I've lost the majority of my strength, my passion. And so he says like this, guard what is entrusted to you. Avoid every foolish word. Get, get out of your, your fellowship with foolish people. You want to know why? Because they speak foolishness. They don't know where they're going. They falsely call these things that they know God. Well, I've been a Christian now for 20 years. Listen, if you call that Christianity, I want to be another faith. If you call your worship Christianity, I, I, I don't want to be known as a Christian. It's self-serving. It's self-indulgence. It's according to your convenience. There's no sacrifice. When we were in Argentina, you know what they told us? We will not have a service without the congregation bringing an offering to the Lord. Because we're not going to sit there and have God give us his best and, and we walk away without any acknowledgement of what he's done. So after every service, the people run up and give God their treasure. And one family had sold their car and put the whole offering on. You know why? You say, well, why'd they do something so crazy? Because their drug addict son who was lost was now found. They said, listen, we could have never paid for this. But God, we're so grateful to what you're doing here. And I was listening to these things. I was like, Lord, I, I, I also want to move in that regard. 1 Timothy 6.21, that's what it means when Paul says, fight the good fight. Take hold of eternal things. Take hold of these faith things, these powerful things, the talking with God. 2 Timothy 1.14, he says, Through the power of the Holy Spirit, carefully guard the precious truth that you hold. Are you letting it fade? Listen to me, as much as this little thing here, you see this little eagle here? I, I, as, I, as I polish it or ask people to polish it, you know what I'm saying? God is precious. The things of God need to shine. The glory of God cannot fade. The, the, the specialty, when, when we did, you guys, while I was away, you did the Christmas decorations. You know what that speaks of when the people come in here and they see a people who have adorned and decorated the halls of God's temple? It talks about vibrancy of faith. There are non-believing atheist homosexuals that will take their buildings and give the best to their unbelief. And, 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 and we're not passionate about our faith in the things of God. And so that's why it, it begins to, to, to wither and fade. And he goes on to say these things through the Holy Spirit. Let the fire of the Spirit speak in tongues. I love Rich Hartman. I like the speak in tongues makes the devil run. Cultivate that fire, the language of the Spirit. 2 Timothy 2.18 says, Some have wandered from truth. Do you know somebody who, who has strolled away and... It's not as important as it used to be. When I didn't have a marriage, boy, I was there every night on my knees. When I, I didn't have anything going for me, when I was sick, I, and I was there in God, giving Him the best. That's why He says, return to your first love. What is that? You've fallen from that. You're, you, you've fallen short. What it is to, to, to remember where God brought us from. 
talk about those who have wandered from truth. And 2 Thessalonians, he says, because they love not the truth, their, their relationship began to fade. Second Thessalonians 2.10, it says, And with all unrighteousness, deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love for the truth, so that they could continue in this salvation route, that they might be saved. For this reason, God sent them to strong delusion that they should believe a lie, and that they all may be condemned who did not believe. The Bible says there's going to become a time where, say with me, endure. People will not endure sound doctrine. They won't suffer it. They, they, they think that, that their walk with God is, is in vain. It has no substance to it. There's no dedication. There's no consecration. There's no service. There's no, there's no denying. Titus 1.16 says they profess to know God, but the way they live, it denies it because they're abominable. They do things that don't please God. They're disobedient. They're not ready for every good work. I, I don't know about you, but... I'm glad I'm saved from sin, but I want to move in the power and the glory of his grace to do the great exploits God expects from his church in the last days. Just to utter the truths of God. And, and if we're the last ones standing in this generation, let us be the ones that will proclaim. Matthew 24, 11 says, many false teachers will appear and they will deceive many. Sin selfishness will be rampant everywhere. The love of many will grow cold, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. The, the devil has an ability to lodge deception into our hearts. You, you imagine, I don't know what happened to Ananias and Sapphira that they brought half of the land that they sold. They said, oh, we only got this much. And, and how do we compromise how does the devil get into Judas' heart and have him betray and, 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 and sell Christ off? I don't know how that happens. Let's stand tonight and, and ask God, Lord, you guys remember when Thomas says, I don't believe that Jesus raised from the dead. I need to put my finger into his body. Listen. Ask the Holy Spirit to, to get your finger into the body of Christ. Amen. Understand the reality, the substance of what it is to be a Christian. I, I see the redemption in John Davis's life, in Julie's family. I see the redemption in, in Gary's life, in George Caracol's life, in, in Maria, in Chanchel, and Jordan. I see the redemption in the Mediero family, in the Zemer family. Let me tell you something. In Chavelin's life, in Maggie's life, in Rosie's life, when I see what the Lord has done and how he, with a glorious, and he's not done. He's not done. You know why there's, there's a season in the wilderness to, for us to become sharper, more focused. How, how will we go back to living the same way we lived before we met Christ? Thinking of how Paulette got here. You know, how Blas and Mabel got here and, and how God has delivered us with such a mighty, powerful hand. And, and the reminder of Monza's life with Sarah and Willie and, and to me as an inspiration of the faithfulness of the God I serve and giving, us, giving him our best and being filled with that spirit and not, I, you guys know me, I, I don't want to be around people who've watered down the gospel who say, how far can I go into my stupidity and ignorance and foolishness and still call myself a Christian? Listen, this is not the place for you. This is not the place for you. I don't want my nephew to know your Christianity. I didn't say it on Sunday in the second service, but my, my nephew sees the back of somebody's car and sees the old logo of the church. That logo was changed a year ago. And there's some people that still could care less and they have the old logo and it's faded. And my nine-year-old nephew had to say, hey, Gatillo, he's not on the team. I said, no, yes, he is. He's just struggling a little bit. No, 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 he's not. 
I said, yes, he is. He's just going through hard times. No, but listen, Tio, if you're going to be for real, you got to say that guy's a loser because he has the old logo and it's faded. He's not on this team. And you know what I had to say? It's true. He is a loser. He's not on the team. He's not on the cutting edge of what Christ has done in his life. He's watered down. He subtracts it. He considers it an embarrassment to stand up for the king of glory. And so I know there's a season of, of frailty and tenderness. And, and, and yeah, there, there is a time, you know, where, where, where we're not as strong. But listen to me. The promise is that we would be the, like the cedars of Lebanon. These trees will not bend easily. They're, they're solid and they're not going nowhere. I've seen cars going 50 miles an hour hitting those trees in Coral Gables. You know what's something? The tree doesn't move. And so we need to be the people of God, unfazed, unmoved, Amen. unstricken with the power of His presence in our lives. Father, we pray tonight in Jesus' name that You pour oil in our lamps, that You pour the fire of the Spirit of God, that we would be so fascinated, so lost in our love and passion for you that there wouldn't be but one syllable that could come out that doesn't glorify your name that doesn't talk about the greatness of God and his merciful redemption plan and in the face of the fiery furnace in the face of of deep dark captivity oh God that that you would be present for us to proclaim that not one of us would be lost, shipwrecked. That our children would not taste such a bland flavor of Christianity. They would want to become Muslims because these are extremist warriors fighting battles of life or death, oh God. While we Christians are just bland and pathetic, oh God. Give us a fervent spirit. Give us a fervent, diligent service unto you. As we sing this song, just talk with the Lord in Jesus' name.